welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This sermon is taken from the 2011 Annual Missions Conference. This is the second morning service of Sunday the 5th of June 2011, entitled, Some Things That Happen When We Give to Missions. And the Bible reading is taken from Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Here's Brother Richard Rawls. All right, thank you, Pastor. It's good to be in the house of the Lord again this morning. Good to see each one of you here. I remember when I went to our first pastor, the former pastor had a sign in his study said, when I quit making mistakes, I'll be with the Lord. Question, where will you be? That was on the bottom of the sign. And I wondered, why in the world that fellow got that sign in there? Well, I started pastoring, and I knew why. <laughs> Yourself, you can make mistakes, amen. But I appreciate you being patient with me and, and uh, you know, working with us, amen. All right. Turn your Bibles, please, to the book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I want to talk to you this morning on some things that happen uh, as a result of our giving to missions. Things that happen when we give to missions. And uh, one verse of Scripture, but my God, Philippians chapter 4, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And uh, I want us to use that this morning. And we're going to branch out and use a number of other scriptures, but we'll start with that one, okay? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, again, we ask you that you'd help us. I pray, Lord, that you'd touch hearts. And God, I ask you that you'd uh, meet the needs of each and every one. Lord, help us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Pastor, you was uh, speaking about uh, Raphael. Uh, Brother Ben Hall, Brother Gary's son, surrendered to go to the mission field. And Brother Gary told me, said, Brother Rawls said it was that same message that the Lord touched his heart. And then my mind goes back, and I think about back in the, uh, let's see, I guess it was the latter 70s, I was preaching at a church in, uh, let's see, near Chattanooga, Tennessee, and there was a man that surrendered to go to France from that meeting. So we know of at least three uh, that the Lord has called through that. So we praise God for that. All right, I want to begin this morning by commending you for what you're doing in faith promise giving. I thank God for that. Uh, Pastor was sharing with me that you're giving in excess of uh, uh, 30, uh, the equivalent of what, I can't remember in pounds, but it's the equivalent of or over $36,000 in missions just to your missionaries plus special projects. You're going way over that. I, I commend you for that. Amen. And I, I apologize for not having that in pounds, but uh, uh, hey, that's good. I thank God for that. Uh, that warms my heart, amen, and uh, excites me. And I commend you, I commend you, I commend you again. Faith promise giving, for those that may not be familiar with it, is trusting the Lord to give through us for his cause of world evangelization what he would not give to us for our own personal use. It's over and above our regular tithes and offerings, and it does not stay here in the church. It goes out to the regions beyond, supporting missionaries, supporting people that are helping in one form or another to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. And it's not some, some kind of a scheme. Those of you that are mature in the Lord, you know that. Uh, God forbid that we use worldly means and, you know, scheming, conniving. We're not trying to do that. We're trying to help you. And... Uh, 
I'm going to give you a scripture on that. I'm, I'm uh, well, I won't say that. Amen. <laughs> but, uh, you know, sometimes we tend to, and I, I did this when I first got saved. And before, I, in fact, well, let me back up. Before I got saved, I would see people giving testimonies and I would look at them with disdain. And I'd think, you hypocrite. If people knew what was in the back of your life, you'd crawl on that seat and hide, stand up there and smiling, grinning like a possum eating sawbriars, you know. <laughs> you know what I was doing? I was judging people by myself. I was judging people by exactly where I was at. When I got saved, I didn't feel that way anymore because I knew those people had something real and I'd just gotten hold of it. And I hope no one is here thinking, you know, this is some kind of scheme because I wouldn't want to think that anybody here would be doing that if he was in my place rather than being where you're at, okay? All right, but uh, faith promise. Again, it is trusting the Lord to give through us for his cause of world evangelization what he would not otherwise give to us for our own personal use. Now, last night we shared with you five ways the Lord will uh, use to give us and help us in uh, giving our faith promise offering. I gave a number of testimonies, and uh, I'm not going to do that again this morning. I'm tempted to, but I won't. But I want to say, beloved, if we will do what the Scripture teaches here, this Scripture I read, Philippians 4.19, this promise is given to a church made up of people who are giving to missions. Look again at what it says. Paul the Apostle, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's commending, commending the church at Philippi, one of the towns in uh, larger cities in Macedonia at that time. And Paul was led to Macedonia uh, by direct revelation or leading of the Lord in Acts 16. You find that. And then Paul writing to this church, he gives a number of things that mission giving does. Verse 10 encourages a missionary he rejoiced greatly uh, that now uh, at the last they cared, flourished with him. And then verse 17, missionary giving abounds fruit to our account. He said, not because I desire gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. And then verse 18, missionary giving becomes a part of God's perfume collection, an odor of a sweet smell. Verse 19, Paul gives this promise to the church. And I emphasize again, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they're giving to help supply his need in the work of God as a missionary. And that raises the question, what about my need? I'm helping you, but what about me? Well, Paul was impressed and led of the Holy Spirit to pen these words. He said, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And that promise is there for us to claim, you and I, and I do claim that promise, that the Lord will supply our need. Now, primarily, this refers to our uh, financial needs, our material needs, but it is not limited to that. Our needs can incorporate uh, uh, domestic needs, can incorporate physical needs. It can incorporate a number of needs. If you need, if you need it, 
then the apostle Paul here has penned these words, my God shall supply. You say, well, preacher, I don't have needs that are not met. I want to ask you, are you appropriating this verse by faith? You say, what do you mean? Listen, I think that well, all of God's promises in a sense are like blank checks that we need to fill in by faith. And what I like to do when I have a need, I like to kneel on my knees. Sometimes I will literally lie on my face on the floor, and I'll even put my face on these promises, and I'll say, God, I am trusting your word for what this verse promises me, and it's not just financial things. I need, I need messages. I need something fresh to share with the people, especially the churches that I'm going back to over and over. Amen. I know some people think there's a button on a preacher. If you push that, he'll preach, you know. If you push it again two times, he'll turn white-eyed and sometimes stomp. And no, it doesn't work that way. There is hours and hours and hours of study that goes in, and then God, you know, impresses you. But uh, I like to pray in claiming God's fulfillment of his promises with my hands kneeling down, with my hands on the Scripture. I don't always kneel down, but with my hands on that promise, Sometimes I actually lay my face on the open Bible as I'm lying down prostrate. Uh, Daniel, uh, I think you find in the scriptures where there's some that did this. But uh, hey, uh, God says, "My God," Paul said, "My God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus." So, verse 19, uh, God supplies our need as our a result of our giving to missions. And then, verse 22, uh, we find that missionary giving. And verse 21, 22, results in people getting saved. Paul preaching there in Philippi and so on. But uh, uh, I want to I wanna just use verse 19 in particular, our needs supplied. Now, sometimes we are confused, myself included, on what our needs really are. He did not promise to supply uh, the things that we might just lust after and I'm not using that in the, in the physical uh, sense, uh, but uh, he doesn't promise to supply frivolous things that we might just want, you know. Uh, he doesn't do that. He supplies the need, the need. What do we need in our lives to continue on in serving the Lord for his glory? And uh, time and again, I have found that he doesn't just stop with supplying the bare necessities. He goes past that. But those are, uh, what's the word I want to use? They're like bonus supplies. You know, they're like uh, God's just gracious love. Uh, did you know it's God's will to give us good things? If, you want, if you're making notes on the message, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11 bears that out. But... Uh, God promises to supply all our need. I realize that we are in a downturn in the economy. And some people say, brother, it's worse than a downturn. I've fallen off the edge of the cliff. Well, missionary giving, and I'm saying this with total, uh, totally clear conscience, giving to missions is the best way in the world to assure that God is going to take care of you regardless of what comes, whatever comes to pass. Now, I know from 
what I'm reading in the scriptures, in, in the last days, it's possible for us to even face famine, great famine, and uh, it's possible uh, in, uh, in countries even like the United States of America, we've been blessed. Oh, we have been blessed financially. But I'm going to tell you, brother, it's, it's getting rough over there. People losing their homes, people losing their automobiles, people losing everything that they ever had. And uh, we've just started to what it could be. I'm reading that it is very possibly going to get much, much worse. Well, you say, preacher, trying to scare us to death? No, I am not. Let me tell you, with the, all of the uncertainty ahead of us, I say again, the best way to ensure that God's going to take care of you is to continue faithfully giving your tithes and offerings to the church and uh, giving faithfully to missions because I'm reading it right here. Uh, God didn't just write these things for the particular individual or church. Where this, is this is available, and it's appropriate for us to appropriate by faith this promise. Amen? And so he promises to supply all of our need. Now, let me say again that we many times are more blessed than what we realize. I, uh, I heard this said, and I've read it since then. If you have money, cash money, in your pocket, or it's maybe in your bank account, you can lay your hands on it, food to eat, and a house to live in, you are in the top 8% of the entire world's population. Now, I see some heads shaking. Yes, you maybe have read these same statistics. And uh, listen, I went to Mexico back in, uh, let me think, in 1971. I went on a survey trip in preparation for uh, going into uh, mission work. I'd already been in mission work. I just know to, didn't know to call it that. Pioneered two churches in the United States and uh, didn't have any support at that time. But uh, I was in home mission work, and the reason I say that is because when the churches got up to where they were able to stand on their own, I had no further desire to pastor them. I wouldn't just turn it over to somebody else, go somewhere and do it again. That's mission work. But in 1971, I felt so definitely the Lord leading us to leave our last church, the last pastorate, and to uh, go to Mexico. And uh, so I made a survey trip, and I went down to Mexico. Well, you know what? When I got down there, I was shocked out of my wits. Not only were they speaking in some kind of an unknown tongue that didn't make a bit of sense to me. Found out later it was very intelligent what they were saying. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> but, uh, hey, I saw people living in thatched roof huts. I had no idea. <coughs> Pardon me. I knew people in Africa did that. But I had no clue, no earthly idea. Nobody had ever told me. In Mexico, they live that way. And not only Mexico, but throughout Latin America. And it's not all of them are, not, I'm not, not all of them are thatch roof huts. Uh, there are a lot of people that live in nice homes, but they're in the minority. I'm talking about in Mexico and Latin America. Uh, you have as a rule two, two classes of people. You've got the very rich or the people that are very poor. There are very, few people that's really in the middle class, or at least when I was down there. Now, I went down on the Yucatan Peninsula, 
This is in particular where I'm talking about that I saw this. I saw people not only living in thatch roof huts, I saw people living in lean-tos. I'm talking about where they had only two sides on their building and uh, their bedding and whatever was underneath a few pieces of corrugated metal or uh, if they were more fortunate. But otherwise, it was uh, it was black, um, kind of like corrugated, uh, heavy-type roofing. And... Uh, and and that stuff would would bow and bend and everything, and they had poles that the structure was held up with, and these poles, uh, if they were fortunate, were nailed together. But many of them were tied together with vines, and the men, uh, I saw these men on buses uh, that they had such ragged. I mean, I have never seen such ragged clothing. And the clothing had been patched and patched. And and my impression was on so many of those men, the original garments were long since gone. And it was patches on patches that their clothing was made up of. And I talked to the missionary, Otis Seals, the senior missionary I was down visiting with. Remind you, it was a survey trip. And I, I said to him, I said, Preacher, uh, these people appear to be extremely poor. He said, they are. He said, Brother Rawls, he said, these people, these men work in hemp fields. It feels like you have hemp rope that's made of, you know, the rope's made of hemp. He said, they are working time and again. They're working from daylight till almost dark. And uh, they barely have time to come home. And then they work in their gardens until dark, and he said they're complaining that they're just about to work them to death. You know how much money they were making? You know what kind of a salary they were receiving? A full-grown man working, I'm talking about 8, 10, 12, even 14 hours a day. Eight was a short day. They were working for $3, the equivalent of $3.25 in American money, Per week. Now you, I don't know how to figure the pounds, you know, but man, that's that's way less than three pounds a week, and he's working like this not only to provide food and some kind of shelter to go over his head and some kind of clothing, brother, to to for his wife to use and patching what he's got, but he's trying to supply for himself his, in most cases, a wife and maybe a couple of three children, maybe four, five, or six children. He said they've got to have gardens to keep them starving. We don't hear about this on the news. We don't read about this. But, folk, listen. Honduras, on down past Mexico, one of the poorest nations in the Western Hemisphere, worse off than that. How can it get any worse? I'm going to tell you, folk, we are abundantly blessed. Abundantly blessed. I'm thinking of those people there that I was looking at in Mexico. You know, how in the world are they going to hear the gospel? I mean, you say, well, they could at least hear it on the radio. Listen, most of those people were too poor to afford a radio. They certainly didn't have television. They certainly didn't have a car. 
the one of the places that we went to, and I can't remember the name of the of the uh, little town. It was Tekoa, something like that. Uh, they had only two automobiles in that whole city, and I think the city was around six to I don't know somewhere six to ten thousand people. They only had two cars in that whole town that we could find out about that was running. One of those was an old, uh, I don't know, 57 or something model Plymouth. Had those, had big old fins, you know, on the back of that thing. And uh, the missionary hired, paid that fellow that owned that car to uh, take us into town the first night after the service when we'd preach, sent word over there, and he came over. And we told him that we wanted him to do this each night. He didn't come back the second night. That thing knocked so loud, I'm telling you, it, it just hammering and whamming and knocking. As a fellow said, and I'm not trying to be facetious or funny, but I'm telling you, that thing knocks so loud, it just about wake up the dead. And I'm thinking to myself, I know why he didn't come back the next night. That thing probably didn't make it back. So we got the other car. It was a 1940, I'm not mincing words, a 1940 with a four, 46 Chevrolet, two-seater. That car was painted green. I'm telling you, the top, the sides, all around it was painted green. The rubber, even the chrome that was on it to start with was painted green. And the tires on the outside were painted green. I don't know why in the world. The engine sounded good. The transmission seemed to work right. We're going down the road. I don't think it had a window in it except the windshield and the back window. And I'm about to freeze. I mean, the temperature dropped down to about 60 degrees. They were talking about a cold front had come through. I had on, you know, just short sleeve shirt and tie and so on. And, uh, and, uh, and I can't understand Spanish. The mother and the father sitting, father sitting in the middle, mother over here. And here's a teenage girl that's driving it. And, uh, and the missionary, as they're talking, the missionary told me, said, Brother Rawl said, they're teaching this young lady to drive. <laughs> well, that's, that's a challenge. <laughs> I lie not, listen to me, that car had at least a round of play in the steering wheel. She would roll the steering wheel like that, and that steering wheel would go over like and she'd catch it, boom. Then she'd roll it, go back, bump, and that's the way she's going down the road. You will get caught up on your praying long about then. I'm not, listen, I'm saying that we are blessed beyond our wildest imagination. We're blessed. We're blessed. We're blessed. I saw people eating corn, just plain old hard corn, one way or the other. They're eating it three times a day. They'd make corn tortillas out of it. They had a corn drink they called Tolly. And, uh, and uh, just one way or the other, they're eating corn. Now, with their gardens, they can have the vegetables, you know, and that's, that's good. But I don't remember a house that did not have a bag of corn sitting over to the side or in the corner hanging up something, keep the rats away from it. And uh, this is a peninsula where this is, you know, where the, this is located, surrounded by water on three sides. 
hurricanes come through there. How in the world are those people going to survive? I'm telling you, folks, we are blessed, abundantly blessed beyond our imagination. And now that God's blessed us, God says, now you've got an opportunity to give to missions. And if you'll give to missions, I'm going to supply all your need. Well, I'm going to tell you something, folk. I don't know about you. I think I know about you from what I'm already seeing. But by the grace of God, I'm going to give faithfully to missions. And my wife and I do give faithfully to missions because I want to see God continue to bless us. I, I, I want, if I didn't have any other reason, I'd give to missions to buy me some insurance. Did you get that? Because I know God's word can't fail. And with me giving to missions, I've got a promise that I can hang on to, brother. And God says, I'm going to supply all your need. I don't have to worry about having something to eat. I believe God's going to keep a roof over my head. He's going to take care of my need because he said, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. <coughs> Pardon me. <clears throat> now, with that being said, I want to give you some scripture. And I want to in invite you to jot these down. I'm not going to have time to uh, elaborate on a lot of them. But uh, I want you to look at fringe benefits, even abundant benefits that I see God giving in this matter of our sowing and reaping, because as we give, we're, we're like sowing. You know, a farmer goes out, sows a field, and he's doing that because he expects a harvest. In effect, as we're giving, we're sowing. And the sowing can be questionable on our part. If we don't go and sow, sow we're not going to reap. You know, if a farmer was standing in the middle of a 100-acre field, and he's saying, I don't know what's happened. I don't have just a little bit of a harvest here together. And uh, he's looking around, and here's some corn, oats, grain, whatever, you know, just around this one little place. He's standing in the middle of it. And we say, well, man, did, did you sow different grain the rest of the field? He says, sow the rest of the field. I didn't sow the rest of the field. This is all I sowed. That guy would be ready for the funny farm. He's expecting to reap in abundance, and he only sowed where he can just stand one place, and you know, throw out a little bit. You're going to reap according to what you sow. Are we together? God uses the same thing in the book of Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. If we sow sparingly, we're going to reap sparingly. If we sow bountifully, we're going to reap bountifully. And Paul was giving that in the context of people giving. Okay? Now, the sowing can be questionable on our part, but the reaping is not questionable because that's on God's part. Mark chapter 10, verses 28 through 31. God promises to, to let us reap a hundredfold. And uh, we could spend our entire time on this one alone. Uh, Mark chapter 10, if you will, turn your Bibles there. Here's a rich young ruler that comes and says to uh, the Lord, what must I do that I might inherit eternal life? And Jesus told him he went away sorrowful, wouldn't do it. <clears throat> Pardon me. And uh, so Peter says, Lo, we've left all and have followed thee. Verse 28, Jesus did not refute that. 
Verse 29, Jesus answered and said, Verily, or surely, truly, I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospel, but he shall receive, what's the next word? And what? Hundredfold. That means a hundred times over. And here's what you reap. He said you reap houses and brethren, sisters, mothers, children, lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. Can you imagine a person having a hundred houses, hundred mothers, <laughs> children, hundred children, hundredfold, not just... How, how do you explain this? If you're willing to do what these men did, these apostles, and they've left all, Jesus didn't dispute it, I repeat, Jesus says you're going to receive a hundredfold... How does a person have a hundred houses, hundred mothers, brothers, sisters, all that, hundredfold? How does that happen? Well, you find out that God opens homes to you with men that are like brothers, just like brothers, and ladies that are just like sisters. And God provides just like all of that's yours. I got a house this year, this right now, that's over at Dean Close. What's the number, preacher? Twenty-seven Dean Close. I don't have to pay the electric bill. I didn't pay for those new windows that went in it not long back. I mean, I, I don't pay the water bill. I don't worry about if one of the lights go out. By the way, he has got one light out. Amen. <laughs> I have helped with the cabinet doors, you know, along. But hey. Uh, and and I'm at home there so much. Uh, when I first went in, Brother Larry and Sister Jane walked me over and said, Now, Brother Ross, uh, here's thus and so on the refrigerator. And open, open the refrigerator. Said, Now, if you're hungry, you make yourself right at home. And you know what I do? I just go right over there and, and I make myself at home. I pull out milk, you know, or I look in one cabinet, got honey, there's cereal. I mean, I am at home. In fact, I looked around, couldn't find something I need. I said, Miss Jane, would you call Brother Larry, tell him I need a can of, uh, of cranberry sauce? Would you believe he brought a jar instead of a can? I think I ought to get mad about that, amen. And I, I am totally at home there. Did you, would you believe that's just one of hundreds of homes that's available to this guy, this jerk, I mean, this guy, whatever I am, amen. <laughs> Got a lady uh, that has just started her deputation, and I shared this truth with her, and, uh, and she told me since she started her deputation, she said, Brother Rawls, I did not realize, I, 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 couldn't, I could not get the impact of that scripture until I've started deputation. She said, I see this. She said, God is blessing me so much. And she's talking about other things. She said, I feel sorry for people that won't let go and let God use them in missions or let him have his way with them. She said, I just feel sorry for them. God's so, so very good to me. And she's experiencing this. Hundredfold, hundredfold. God promises that. But then listen in Mark chapter 9, verse 41. Mark chapter 9, verse 41. Look at that one. 
if you would, please. And uh, the Lord said, For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, they just give it to you because you belong to Christ, because you belong to the Lord. Verily I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Now, each service, there's a cup of water that's placed right in the pulpit. That's to keep my preaching from being dry. You got that? Amen? It's there because my throat tends to get dry a little bit. That helps it. Now, you know what's special about that cup of water? God is so meticulous, so careful, so extremely careful that he promises he will reward insignificant cups of water. Brother Larry has been placing that there each service. He's not doing it for reward, but God says, even though you're not doing it for reward, I'm going to give you a reward for every one of them. If God is that meticulous in rewarding even cups of water, what do you think he's doing for a life of consecrated, dedicated service? You go by and pick up somebody, bring them to church, or you call someone on the telephone, give them a word of encouragement, maybe take your Bible, go and visit with them, visit the sick, on and on the list could go. And God says, every single one of those things, including your giving to missions, I'm going to reward it, even down to the point of rewarding cups of water. I don't know about you, but that makes, that makes cold chills on me. I'm telling you, God is taking note. Hey, Matthew 10, 42, another verse of Scripture along the same line. That's where if you give just a cup of water to a child, and not because they belong to Christ, but you do it in the name of a disciple. Again, in no wise are you going to lose uh, your reward. Then Matthew chapter seven, 17, verse 27, the Lord rewards. He, he's attentive to our individual needs. And uh, we think sometimes, you know, that God doesn't care, but, uh, but he's attentive. And, uh, I don't know sometimes why the Lord has us to, uh, to live so close or, you know, whatever. I know that he uses those things. Paul talked about the necessities in the book of Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 and 8, uh, as being a means of God's power resting on him. But God is attentive. In Matthew chapter 17, and uh, you find where the, the people, the tax collectors, they came to, G- to Peter. They said, doth not your master pay taxes? And Peter said, yes. And he goes to the house where the Lord's at, and he wants to tell him, Lord, the tax folk are after us. Oh, man, you know. And Jesus prevented him, and he said, Peter, what thinkest thou, whom do the kings of the earth take customer tribute and so on, of strangers of their own children? And, uh, you know, they collected of strangers. They don't go in the palace and say, all right, John, Joe, Bill, Sue, Annie up. We've got, you know, got to have better roads. He doesn't do that. He taxes the subjects of his kingdom, people that he couldn't call by name if his life depended on it. So Jesus is saying, I'm the son of God. My father owns the kingdom. These taxes are being raised for. I don't really owe them. But he said, nevertheless, lest we should offend them, 
go thou to the sea and cast an hook and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money and that taken given to them for me. But he didn't stop there. He added two words. What were they? And thee. See, this is a blessing in disguise. Peter's taxes are due. He doesn't have the money to pay them. And so he's concerned and ready to help and do what he can to help pay the Lord's taxes. But while he's being used to pay the Lord's taxes, the Lord adds extra to pay Peter's taxes. I've found time and again this principle working. If I see a great need in the Lord's work and God puts a special burden on my heart to work toward it. Uh, I, uh, I remember my wife and I praying about a tractor-trailer load of paper, and I'm not saying this to brag. And I'm praying and praying a tractor-trailer load of paper would cost the equivalent of like $30,000, U.S. dollars. I don't know about you, but that's a chunk of change at this house where I live. Amen? And uh, and so I, I said, uh, I told my wife, I said, honey, I said, I am so burdened. And I said, I, I, I don't know what to do. I said, maybe we could sell our house and take the equity out of it. And she said, no, no, no. Uh, boy, you're talking about a definite no, amen. <laughs> you say, preacher, aren't you the head of your house? Yep, I sure am. And my wife's a neck that turns the head, amen. Seriously, I said, if God's in this, he'll put it in her heart too. And so I, uh, I said, Lord, just, I still felt like maybe we could sell the house, you know, downsize. And so, uh, I mean, so I'm, I'm praying, and I put the key in the door, locking that door. We're going on a, like a two-month trip. And, uh, hey, uh, I said, God, if it's your will, your will for us to sell this house, put it in my wife's heart. Put it in Nora's heart. We came back. There was a letter in the mailbox. Mr. Rawls, we're interested in buying your house. When could we make an appointment? And I, this fellow comes to see me, and he didn't wait for me to call him. And he said, we're interested in buying your house, yada, yada. And I said, uh, I'm uh, not interested in selling it. We talked a little bit, and I became interested in selling it. <laughs> I looked over at Nora, and she, she is smiling. She's interested in selling it too. And God's used a portion of that. Don't tell anybody. So we have a little something if Social Security dies dead at 4 o'clock. I don't have to go out knocking on doors. Now, I trust God will help us not to lose it with a downturn. It's not a great amount. But, hey, listen, uh, God's able. You know what we did? You know what God did? He left over enough for us to buy that tractor-trailer load of paper. Hey, I got criticized for living in that house. That's too big for a preacher. You know what? We worked like dogs when we were not in meetings, building that house ourselves. And we built it with downgrade material. I mean, it was good solid material, but hey, God is in the blessing business, and he helped us. Now, he repays attentively. Well, listen, I'm going to stop here.
I got 411 points. Amen. I'm in the first, first three. Amen. We'll go again from there sometime. Let's stand, please. Head bowed and eyes closed. Father, I pray that you'd speak to hearts. Help us, dear Lord, to sense your loving arms around us, drawing us close to your bosom and hearing you say and whisper in our ear and our hearts, I love you. I love you. God, I pray that you'd help us that we might say back, yes, Lord, and I thank you for loving me, and I love you too. God, I pray that you'd help us that we might, Father, with joy and cheerfulness, be a cheerful giver. All of us, help us to be cheerful givers. And I pray that you'd help us that we might give in helping to support the missionaries as they go to the regions beyond to so many extremely poor people, not just poor in this life, but poor because they do not know you. Even a person that is very rich in the eyes of the world is very, very poor if they do not know you. And we think of the, the scripture that, Lord, you gave us, that though you was rich, yet you became poor, born in a stable, had nowhere to lay your head, that we through your poverty might be rich. And we are rich through the riches of love in Christ Jesus and the salvation we have. Thank you, Lord. I thank you. I thank you from the very bottom of my heart for this. And God, even though the world doesn't understand and our bodies ache and pains and all, Lord, even though we sometimes just, we try to just scrape and try to make ends meet, God, help us to realize that we're already abundantly blessed, that the real poor people of the world could never even imagine living on the level and plane that we have with a car and a home and plenty of food to eat and even trying to uh, cut down so we don't get overweight. Lord, I can't even imagine. Lord, help us. Father, help us that we'd never complain, God. Help us to never gripe. Dear God, help us to see how you've already blessed us. And I pray, dear God, that you'd help us to take the portion that you want us to trust you for You've already given us everything we have anyway. We could have been born in one of those extremely poor countries. God, help us. Help us, dear Lord. We'd take the portion that you tell us to trust you for. God, I pray that you'd help us to commit that in faith promised missions and helping get the gospel to the ends of the earth. I know we'll not be sad that we did down the road. So help us, dear God, in, uh, in being faithful to you and faithful to help reach others. In Jesus' name, with our heads still bowed and eyes closed, I wonder if there might be someone here unsaved. If you would, make your way down. We'll take an open Bible, show you how to be saved. There's somebody here that, and you uh, need to rededicate your life to the Lord. We invite you to come. Let the Lord have his way with you. Maybe somebody here, maybe several, you're praying about your faith promise. Would you slip your hand up, please? And say, pray with me. Would you say, God bless you? God bless you. Yes. Different hands. Yes, God bless you. Uh, you've got some other problems. I want to pray with you on those two. Would you slip your hand up, please? Say, preacher, I've got 
We've got some other problems I wish you'd pray with me about. God bless you and you, yes. God bless you. Amen. Father, again, in Jesus' name, I'm praying that you'd meet the needs. Give wisdom to know, for each one to know exactly what you want uh, them to trust you for in giving to missions, Lord, and Father, in different decisions they're facing in their life. I feel, Lord, that you're calling some missionaries out of this congregation. Maybe some man to preach, young man, Lord, to take the sword and begin to go abroad, Father, or just do it, do it here at home, Lord. I pray that you'd help them. Meet the needs, we pray, as our pastor comes in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.